Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Good to be with my Nations family on a Sunday evening. If you're the type likes to follow an actual Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. If not, we've created some really easy to follow along with slides uh, that'll make it really simple for you. Uh, a couple things uh, before, we get, before we get going. Um, my, my name's Shane, and uh, unfortunately have been adopted into the Nation's Church family. And uh, I, I just love this place. Uh, this is um, it's just a special place to me. And uh, when, when, they, when I'm here, they want me to open the Bible. And I take that really seriously. Anytime I do that, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I hope that's your experience uh, tonight as, as we take a journey. The only thing I want to say before we get started is on the way out tonight, we do have a small table set up at the left side of, of the foyer with our teaching resources on it in USBs in both audio and video. Um, we use the profit from that, which we do make lots of money from it. Uh, we use the profit from that to fund our missions in the world. We believe that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so for us, not looking down anybody else's choices, but in our choice, we wanted to support children's homes in China that look after children with mental disabilities. We have two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that works with the government there as a viable diversion option to Pullsmore Prison. We, we find it inappropriate to tell women you shouldn't sell your body if that's their only option to feed their family. Uh, what we need to do is instead of playing moral police and moral platitudes, we need to give people options and hope and training and... Yes, and so, uh, and so for us, the, the theological word for that is resurrection. Resurrection is when you invade someone's today and it changes their tomorrow. That their tomorrow is not simply a repeat of yesterday because resurrection is at play. And so that's what we wanna be. And that's the heart of Nations Church as well. So on your way out, come by. Let me put something in your hands that'll change the way you look at God. And so doing, you put something in my hands that helps us feed, clothe, shelter, educate, mentally handicapped kids. Um, the only thing I would ask is that if you do not want anything, God bless you. I'll see you next time, next year. This actually the same week next year. I'll see you then. Um, if you know, if you know, I'm gonna grab something on my way out. If you could do me a favor, if you could do so in the first 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes or so, that would really help us because we have to pack it down and I'm speaking at another place tomorrow and then and then Wednesday I'm back here and then Wednesday night I'm in another church. So we have to pack it down. So if you could, if you could help us, that would be fantastic. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about the oldest technology of the church. Um, the church is fixing to engage in, into a new season. And a new season requires new thinking and, and oftentimes new technology. And, um, but I, I, my theory is, is that we should actually revive the oldest technology uh, available to us. Um, and, and that is the table. Um, the, according to the historian Alan Creeder in his great history book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, he, he makes a great case that the primary symbol of the church should not be the cross. He's not against the cross, but he says the primary symbol of the church should be the table because the table is what changed the world. One of the ways that Christianity changed the world in the first 300 years, and by the way, it was illegal, okay? This, was, this should be obvious. Christianity was not a public religion in the first 300 years of its existence. It was a private society. And, and, and the, way, the, the way it exploded is the way it changed the world. According to Creter, he, he says that it exploded for five reasons. One, it was the only private society that welcomed women. Well, if you're the only private society in the world that welcomes half the population, you're gonna grow, right? <laughs> It was also the only private society without a membership fee. The rich amongst them pulled the weight for the poor. The third reason 
was the table. The, the table changed everything because in the Roman Empire, there was a nine-layered class system. And so the Christians were the ones that says, hey, class one, class nine, doesn't matter to us. We're eating at the same exact table because you can't treat women worse than men. You can't treat blacks worse than whites. You can't treat the poor worse than the rich because there's one Christ holding the entire thing together. You can't do that. If there's one God holding the whole thing together, you can't treat people by classes that every class is welcome at our table. The, the fourth reason was something that I'd read in the Bible, but I didn't know what it was till I read his book. He, remember in, in Paul, Paul, one of Paul's writings, it says, remember, please to greet each other with a holy kiss. Yeah, yeah, I never knew that was. I, I just knew I was glad we didn't do it anymore, right? <laughs> I don't want you kissing me. Goodness me. But, but, but that, that was a table reference. What would happen is after you ate the meal, the class ones and twos would stand up and kiss the class eights and nines. It, it was a way of saying to the world, this isn't just table service. We take Christ seriously and we will not treat people as less than us, regardless of class. There's no such thing as Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. It's that idea. And the technology that allowed for that is the table. The, the table was a place where you didn't have to agree. We honored the Christ that holds us all together, regardless of whether we agree or disagree. It, 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 look, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I am qualified to sort your head out, okay? So careful what you say to me, okay? Um, and, and they tell me that depression is at an all-time high amongst 14-year-olds. And, and I believe it because the science is there to show it. But I also find that unbelievable. You can, two things can be true at the same time. You can believe something and find it unbelievable. Like, like if you're 65 and you hear a 14-year-old tell you about how hard their life is, everything inside of you rolls your eyes, right? <laughs> Like we remember where you had to, we remember a day when you had to wait on your favorite TV show to come on, right? You have everything available in the palm of your hand on demand and you're stressed. Are you serious? Plus money. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money available to them by the age of 19 than the previous four generations before it combined had, right? Like it's, you know, all you gotta do is talk to a 19 year old. What, what's your plan? A 19-year-old with a straight face and say, you know what I'm thinking about doing? They about taking a year off and walking around Europe. <laughs> Why? To find myself. <laughs> if you're over the age of 40, can you imagine telling your dad you were gonna take a year off to find yourself? Your dad would be like, oh look, there you are. Get a job. <laughs> That's right. That's what happened. And so so I, I believe it. But one of the reasons depression is going up is because we traded tables for tablets. We traded tables, we traded authentic relationships for rants. You can't trade a table for a tablet. You can't trade a relationship for a rant. You can't trade unity for uniformity and not be depressed. Of course you are. Unity is not uniformity. Opposition, listen, difference does not necessarily have to mean opposition. You know, like, like, like I speak all over the world to all kinds of different places. I don't have to agree with all of them. I don't. I had the opportunity a few years ago to do a big, gigantic conference for the Seventh-day Adventist. I was the first non-Adventist to ever be asked. And I, and I, I loved it. I, you know, I just wanted to, you know, but that bothered some people. Some, some people said, ah, why are you preaching for them? I'm like, why wouldn't I preach? If the atheist society of West Australia asked me to talk about Jesus, I'd go do it, right? 
the Adventist? Are you serious? They, they were like, well, do you agree with them? I, I'd never considered once whether I agreed with them. And what's there to disagree with? The person was like, Shay, they worship on Saturday. I was like, I know, but that's not the worst thing about them. The worst thing about them is they're vegans. <laughs> I was there four days. I ate 70,000 grams of fiber. I frankly got tired of wiping my butt. I gotta be honest. I ate a brownie made of vegetables and then got up on a stage. It's terrifying. But see, it was harrowing. You don't, you can't trade tables for tablets. Tablets are where we can rant without a relationship. If somebody said to me, well, when do you actually tell the truth to someone? Okay, here's when you can tell the truth to someone. When you've considered what happens if they respond well. What if they say, you're right, I need help. Would you walk me through this process? That's when you can. But if you're not willing to do that, you're just ranting. And, and there's a technology that, that, that the Bible gives us and it's everywhere. And the first century church took it seriously and that is the table. The table was a place where you were welcome regardless of agreement or disagreement. You were welcome at class nine, at class one. You were welcome, yeah, but, 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 but Shane, they're a labor party, I know. I know they're welcome at our table. The table, you'd have to do it to agree. It was, it was a place where you could come together despite disagreement. It was a place where you could celebrate the Christ that holds all things together and say, wait, wait, here we, here, here we are. But, but Shane, they, 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 have a, like, they have a sex issue. Well, yeah, I know, the, the table was where you relate enough to, to, to not feel the pressure to have to fix everything, but, but invite the spirit of Christ to do all the convicting and all the changing in the context of relationship. It was, it, it was this beautiful sort of thing. But Shane, they're a Republican. Yeah, I know, I know, they're a Democrat. Sure, sure, it, it, was, a, it was a table. The table was the technology that ended all the polarization. It invited people into unity without uniformity. It invited people into relationships instead of rants. And, and when we trade that for a tablet and nine second context switches, when we trade true connection, you, you ever been to a restaurant and you see a family of five going out to connect with one another and they're all on their phones? And you wonder why they feel disconnected? You, you, you can't trade something as beautiful as this for nine second videos of cats doing handstands and, and wonder why we're depressed. Of course we're depressed. People say, Shana, I don't know what this generation wants these days. What do people want these? What do you mean? They want what they've always wanted. They, they, they want intimacy. Here's Jesus in Revelation chapter three, verse, verse 20. He says, um, look, uh, if you could bring that up for me. Look, I, I stand at the door and, and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and sort out of all of his opinions about climate and doctrine and sex and health and pop. No, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. It, it, it sounds like God just wants to eat. <laughs> and we've made it more complicated than that. See, people want intimacy. What does that mean? We need good language around this because words matter less than how we picture words functioning. If you, there's a way to say something true that creates untrue imaginations. So, so let's, 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 uh, let's define intimacy. Intimacy is two things simultaneously. Intimacy is number one, being fully known, and number two, being fully accepted all at the same time. So, so that's what everybody wants. You can put whatever language, you want a space where you can be fully known with no real big secrets, and yet despite being fully known, flaws and all, issues and all, you are fully accepted. There's a lot of people who are fully known, and because of that, they're not fully accepted. 
Or there's a lot of people who are fully accepted, but because of that, they're not fully known. They're keeping all kinds of secrets. The table was the technology where you could come. There's an old song, and if you're, if, look, if you're over 60, I'm fixing to butcher this, okay? So please forgive me, but just hear my heart in it. There's an old song we used to sing, and it goes something like this, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for, for, for me. So the reason that song was so compelling, it, it, was, it, it communicates in song form that there is a space that you don't have to hide your flaws. You can be fully known and fully accepted all at the same time. We've traded that in for do you agree with me on everything? No wonder we're stressed. The, the question is, is what must I do to be fully known and fully accepted? all at the same time. What must I do to do that? And the answer evidently is God just wants to eat. Evidently, the table. Now, a quick 45 seconds of Bible nerddom, okay? So you want some little bit, just a little bit of Bible nerddom here, okay? So the way the Hebrew language works, it works on three letter roots. And then what you do is you just add letters to make more words, right? So for instance, the word light is aura, aura, O-R-A, menorah, is many lights or a candlestick, right? Mayor is someone who organizes light. Moray is someone who teaches or throws light like a dart. Torah is when you reveal the cross. Okay, so, so, so you have all of these different ways. So let me show you five related words in, in Hebrew, okay? The first word is, is shul. Here it comes. Um, shul is a meal. So here we have a, a meal. A shulkan is a table. So you eat a shul on a shulkan, right? But here's the thing, there's only 8,000 words in ancient Hebrew, so a shulkan also was the word reconciliation without one letter difference. So a translator has to decide what's the context. Is the context an actual table or is the context two people reconciling or <laughs> both? A, a, a table was a place where it, it, you, you, you reconciled despite the disagreement. Shulchan also was a lamb skin. The reason is, is because in Egypt, they didn't have a table. So when you killed a lamb, they would clean the skin and it was a picnic blanket. So that was the original table was a shulchan. Oh, a related word is forgiveness. Shalak. You can see, I put it on a slide so you can see, it's the same S-H-L-C-H. S-H-A-S-H-L-C-H. It's a shalak is to forgive or to remove weight. Essentially, the table was the technology of lay aside the weight, get a clean slate. That was the table. The table was, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a clean slate. You give me a clean slate. And, um, and whether we agree or not, we would rather the whole world see the Christ that holds us all together be glorified more than we be right about our perspective on something. So what I'm gonna do is, is I'm, I'm Republican, you're a Democrat, I'm a labor, you're a liberal, whatever. I'm, I'm a this, I, I, I think end times is this, you think end times is that, whatever. It, like, it's, it's whatever it is, I'm gonna give you a clean slate, you give me a clean slate, and we're gonna hear each other out for the sake of reconciliation. And to Jesus, this was really important. To Jesus, the meal was primary, even over worship. The meal was primary, next slide, even over worship. Let, let, let me show it to you in Matthew chapter five, verse 23. Here's what he says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, or primarily, go and be reconciled to your brother. 
then come back and offer your gift. In Jesus's world, reconcile would be the word table. First, go and have a meal. Be reconciled. In other words, what difference does it make if you're worshiping passionately, if there's conflict between you and somebody else and all we're showing the world is the conflict instead of the Christ that holds us all together? We've traded relationships for rants. We've traded tablets. We traded tables for tablets and we want the world to be compelled by that? No chance. No chance. Jesus says, here's what you do. Before you worship, go first and be reconciled. Then come back and worship. Here's Paul's take on the same idea. This is 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us. In Paul's world, reconciliation was a table. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of doctrinal correctness. No, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the table that God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ by not counting men's sins against them. In other words, the table was where your flaws were overlooked. It's, it's not like, I don't know you have a flaw. It's like, I'm just gonna choose not to count your sin against you because I believe in a God that didn't count my sin against me and I'm not gonna respond to that level of kindness by holding your sin against you. Even if I can find a verse that proves I'm right about something, I'm gonna choose to humble myself and not count your sin against you because the table is the technology that allows us to engage people's broken stories, issues and all, and be a part of their redemption story instead of shaming and condemning. And then he committed to us the message of the table, reconciliation. You think, wait, that's Jesus, that's Paul. Is this anywhere else in the Bible? <laughs> Glad you asked. Here is a rapid fire summary of all kinds of places you see this. Um, next slide, let's talk about it. So there's this guy named Melchizedek and Abraham. And Abraham was living in World War I. Five kings were fighting four, and they were vying for Abraham's resources. And Abraham has an encounter with a guy named Melchizedek. And he says, I don't know which side to choose. And Melchizedek was like, why choose a side? I got a better idea. Let's set out a table and invite everybody to dinner to be reconciled and end the fighting. Later in the same story, Abraham's sitting outside the front of his tent and it says he sees three strangers in the distance who he never met before. And he rushes to them and puts his whole thing in order to get these guys a meal. And that's when Abraham started to realize the promise on his life. Why? Because you can't expect to be a blessing to the whole world if you can't bless the three people right in front of you. It's that, it was the table that ignited his promise. Why would we ever ask God for more if we can't be trusted with little? It's that. There's this guy named Jacob. Jacob abused the table. The table was a place of reconciliation. Jacob used it to trick his brother out of a, out of a birthright. It's a mess. Jacob's a liar. He's a thief. He's a runner. He ends up in Laban's house and he, lo he loves Laban's daughter. And he says, hey, I'll work seven years for your daughter. He works seven years for the girl and then ends up in the tent with the wrong girl. How do you do that? How do you work seven years for a girl and end up with the wrong one? Unless she was a twin, which is a whole nother level of cool. I mean, how much mushrooms and liquor was involved? 
for you to end up in a tent with the wrong girl. So he tricked Esau, Laban tricks him, the whole thing's coming around. He ends up running and Laban's coming, Esau's coming, there's gonna be a conflict sandwich. And somebody has the bright idea, instead of fighting, let's set a table and be reconciled. Psalm 23, he prepares a table before me. Where? In the presence of my... Mm. That does not mean God will feed you and not them. That means if you're paying attention, God always makes a way to reconcile with your enemies. Look for the way of the table. There's this one time, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. And, um, and would you agree with me if your mother named you Mephibosheth? That's problem number one. Like, you poor thing. What was your mother thinking? You know? And a guy named David takes over the kingdom. And David's supposed to kill the potential heirs. But he finds this grandson of Saul, a guy named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth's legs are broke beyond repair. They didn't have any medical things back then. If your legs got broke, they just kind of, you were crippled. And so this, this, this lady fell on Mephibosheth and, um, and broke his legs. Now he's crippled, you know. And, and, and David comes and gets him. You would expect David to kill him, but, but he doesn't. Watch what David does for this crippled man. Here's the account of it in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. He was king. That's a lot. And you will always eat at my shulchan, my table. In other words, despite our differences, we're going to show the world what it looks like to be reconciled. There's this guy named Joseph. And um, 11 of his brothers sell him into slavery. <laughs> only to later need him to save their sorry rear ends from a famine. And so now the tables have flipped. Joseph has all the power and he could use his power to hurt them yeah. or use his power to reconcile with them. And the choice was palpable. The whole thing culminates at a table. And here's what he says, Genesis 43. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. And then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food instead of cut their throats. It's the shulkan. It's the meal. It's the reconciliation. Then, of course, you have Passover. These people end up in slavery for 430 years. God's pretty silent for over 400 years. And then the first thing he says is eat a meal together. <laughs> which is strange. You hadn't said nothing in 400 years and your first command is eat? That's odd. Except for when you understand they were fixing to be in the wilderness together. And God's like, hey, before we get out there facing all the things we're gonna have to face out there, we gotta be in unity in here. Whatever's between you, before we get out there, get it on a table in here. That Passover is brilliant. I, like, in case you didn't know, I, I don't want to assume you know something you don't know, but like the thing we do with the, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, it's a reenactment of when Jesus served Passover to his disciples. And, and think about that. Who, who, who was at that Passover? Judas. Jesus's response to the guy betraying him was, want to eat? I'm ready to eat. I'd love to be reconciled with you. 
I, I was in a Q&A the other day with a big thing. This lady, she was a nice lady. She said, Shane, our church serves communion to children. I didn't hear the question, so I was like, right. And she said, are you okay with that? And should we be okay with that? And I'd never really considered it, but I said, I said, why wouldn't you serve communion to children? She said, they can't revere it. They don't understand it. And the Bible says, if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you could die. Our children, we don't want our children to die. And I said, ma'am, with all respect, Jesus served communion to Judas. You're trying to exclude children? Seriously. And the scripture she's quoting was not about having sin in your life. All right, come on, can we all be happy together that the, qual that the qualification to take communion is not to be perfect? That's kind of the opposite of the point, right? That, that passage was not having sin in your life. It, it was the rich people amongst them were eating before the poor and they were leaving the leftovers for the poor. And thought, no, 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 no. They, 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 this group of people, they have their Passover, they get out and they get into the wilderness and they make a royal mess of it. Pretty quickly in the wilderness, they stop and they build a gold cow to worship. All of that and their response in a week is to build a cow to worship? God, God's gotta respond to this mess. This nonsense is not acceptable. This is idolatry and God's gotta respond. And how would you expect God to respond to their idolatry? You would expect him to go straight equalizer on them. You've got 19 seconds. 19 seconds, that's what you have. But that's not what happens. Watch God's response to their idol worship. This is Exodus 24. So Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a table, shulchan, made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God and they ate and they drank and they did not die. God's response to their idol worship was, you wanna eat? You wanna be reconciled? Have you had enough of your broken story to let me into it? I'd, I'd love to eat. Where have we abandoned the, tablet, the table for the tablet? We've chosen rants over relationships. We've replaced unity with, with a requirement of uniformity when God's just trying to get involved in everybody's broken story to make a better narrative out of that story. Like Jesus has dinner with tax collectors and sinners. That was their big problem, you know? But they, they don't, we don't agree with them. They have a lifestyle problem. Shouldn't, we couldn't have that at our table. Like, watch, this is Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner with Matthew, uh, tax collectors and sinners came. Of course, they were his friends. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with, these, with tax collectors and sinners? See, for us, it's no big deal. But in that world, that's like saying we're reconciled. We're, it's like, I'm not, a, it's Jesus taught us how to accept a person without affirming everything they do. And we, we ought to get this. Like it's accepting a human is not the same as affirming all of their behaviors. I accept all of you. But if I knew everything about you, there'd be something I wouldn't affirm. And that's okay. The, the, the table allowed for that. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not your sacrifice. For I've come to call the right, not call the righteous, but to call sinners. 
to my table. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Their ministry was give them food, right? One of my favorite examples is the Sidonite woman. She was, she's a Canaanite and she's from the area of Sidon. And all the tension in this story, all the tension, next slide. All the tension in the story. And the next one. Yeah, the Canaanite woman. All the tension in the story comes from the Bible. There are eight, 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 a lot. Eight verses in the Bible that say all Sidonites are cursed. There's a verse in Ezekiel that says, if God ever met the Sidonites, he's so ticked off with them, he'd kill them and leave them naked to expose their shame. Oof. But when the final revelation of God in Jesus Christ comes along and Jesus teaches us what God is actually like, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, he blesses the sight. He prays for the daughters. He, the, the Jews had a word for the Sidonites, dogs. And there's this, there's this comedic exchange because it's hard to see in English. It's, they call her a dog and she calls herself a little puppy. It's, kinda, it's this really kind of strange thing. But, but it centers on a table. She wants to eat at the table, but she can't. Watch what happens. This is Matthew 15. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs or the little puppies get crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answers, woman, you, you have great faith. Your request is granted and your daughter is healed from this very hour. In other words, these people have the whole table and it's not enough for them. You have so much faith, you know all you need is a crumb to be reconciled. This is Jesus showing us what it's like to fulfill scripture, not just be right about it. So, so there's this one time, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And where was he sitting when he told the story? Mm -hmm. He was sitting at a table with rich people. And at the end of the meal, they said, we have all this extra food, what do we do? And Jesus says, I don't know. There's a lot of broke people, poor people outside of your gate. Why don't we invite them in and share the food with them? And their response was, we don't eat with people like that. That would put us on the same footing. And Jesus is like, is that your final answer? And they're like, yes. He goes, great. So there's, there, there's this rich man and he overlooks a poor man named Lazarus outside of his gate. And when he dies, he's the one that goes to hell. The only time Jesus ever said someone went to hell was a rich man refusing to share with the poor man around the table. In other words, you do not want to be a nameless rich man in Jesus' parables. Hmm. There's this one time Jesus was teaching people how to pray. And he said, give us today our daily bread. In other words, Father, make sure I always have the resources necessary for me to reconcile. I just learned this recently, so you're gonna learn it with me. Um, I, I, I can read Greek and I can't believe I missed this, but the word daily is not there. Um, what gets translated, give us today our daily bread, the word is epiupsios, which is tomorrow. So what Jesus actually said was, Father, give me today tomorrow's bread. In other words, Father, give me a supply today that removes my fear of lack of supply tomorrow. Can you imagine a life where we were set free from the fear of lack, knowing there's always a way to reconcile? John 21, Jesus has an encounter with a guy that denied him three times in public court. And Jesus doesn't hurt him. What does he do? He cooks breakfast on the beach for this guy. 
And he says, he does, he bring his sin up. He says, do you still love me after all this? And if you still love me after all this, let's go change the world. That is the table of reconciliation. It, it actually, the Bible ends with that. And this is Revelation 19. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper. Of, the Bible ends with an invitation to eat. From Genesis to Revelation, there's a steady invitation back to a table to be reconciled. This is how the Bible ends in Revelation 22. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit it's every month. And the leaves of the tree was for the healing. In other words, the way the Bible ends is in front of a throne where there's a steady meal where anyone who wants to be reconciled can come and eat. Where have we traded tables for tablets? Where have we traded authentic connection for nine second videos? Where have we traded relationships for rants? Where have we traded unity for uniformity? Where have actually, um, well, great sermons aren't meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're, they're meant to be wrestled with for application. So let's wrestle with a few questions. Qu question number one, where's the, when is the last time I responded to the Lord's knocking? Like we tend to go, oh, if they would just respond to God. Sure, if they would just respond to God. But hang on, what about us? When's the last time we've absolved ourselves from responding to God? Because, well, we made that decision one time. Jesus said, if you wanna manage the sin of the world, see yourself as the plank in the eye and see them as the speck. Where have we reversed that? And Christians go, oh, we're flawed, but we're a little flawed. You're really flawed. Uh, actually, what are we afraid of? Oftentimes we're scared of answering the call to Jesus because we don't want him to fully know. But what if we already realized he fully knew and he accepts us anyway and invites us to a table to lay aside the weight and get a clean slate around a meal from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over again. Let's say it this way, number three. Are we committed to the reconciliation of all things or just our own salvation? Like I'm saved, I'm like, okay. I love the way Isaiah says it. It's but a light thing that you're saved. The heavier thing is that you be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus called it the reconciliation of all things. Paul called it the renewal of all things. Peter called it the restoration of all things. The idea is that the entire world is being invited to be reconciled. And the ministry of reconciliation that we've been trusted with is right here. It's not about uniformity. It's not about moral platitudes. It's about creating a place where people can lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. Last question. Who do you need to cook breakfast on the beach for? Is there anyone? Has anybody in this room tonight committed a sin against Jesus by worshiping? before you reconciled. No condemnation, no indictment. Just think about it. Before you worship again, maybe you need to walk across the aisle and hug somebody and say, despite our disagreement, we will show the world what Christ looks like that holds us both together despite our difference of opinion. The thing that could take nation's church and, and, and take its momentum away is, is not sin and scandal. It's oftentimes internal conflict.
internal fighting. And Jesus, from the very beginning, early in the Sermon on the Mount said, before you worship, first go and be reconciled and then come back and sing your heart out. I wonder where we need to cook breakfast for somebody. I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, you know what, I, I have resisted coming to the, I've resisted Jesus knocking at my heart because if he actually knew me, I don't think he'd accept me. The table is the technology that allows for that. And I'm urging you in a few moments, I'm urging you when Pastor Shannon comes up here to, to give your heart to Jesus Christ tonight, knowing that you're invited to a table to lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. And may we not just believe that. May we be so inspired by that, that it changes the way we see our whole world. So Lord, give us the courage to see things different, the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. Let no one ever reject you because of the way we're presenting you. If you wanna get in on this prayer, just right underneath your breath, you can pray something like this. Lord, I'm sorry for trading tables for tablets, relationships for rants, unity for uniformity. Please forgive me and give me the courage to embrace the ministry of reconciliation that you've entrusted me with. Give me the courage to embrace the ministry of reconciliation that you've encouraged me, that you've entrusted me with. Amen. Would you look this way? Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your night. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Please be people who take the yoke of Jesus seriously, covered in the dust of our rabbi, knowing that is the hope for the world. May we take and embrace the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus had entrusted us with. May we always reconcile before we worship. May we choose, choose relationships over rants, choose tables over tablets, choose unity over uniformity. And may we embrace that well. Until I see you next time. Grace and peace, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.